Testing, testing, am I on? Hello, hello. Can you hear me? Awesome, cool. Well, good morning, Bridge. I hope that it is a good morning for you all here today. I was reminded recently that we are coming up close to the one-year anniversary of the first COVID lockdowns here in Wichita. Hmm. Now, I bet that that's probably not an anniversary that any one of us is going to be celebrating. For many of us, this year has served as a sobering reminder that we live in a world that is full of sickness. Now, many of us were already painfully aware of this fact. Even before 2020, I'm sure that some of us have seen up close the bitter effects of chronic illness. And though it pains me to say it, many of us have seen disease take away the ones we love, even just this past year. And so in a certain sense, this last year was not entirely new. It was not unprecedented. Yes, COVID was a new kind of disease. And yes, no one alive has lived through something quite like this. But friends, this pandemic should not have surprised us, especially as Christians. See, we know that sickness is an expected side effect of living in a broken world. Because sickness and death, they only exist in the first place because all of humanity has rejected the giver of life. Our whole world has embraced sin. And so long as our world is mired in this sinfulness, we can expect sickness and pandemic to not only continue, but to increase. Not to be a downer, but even if we reach herd immunity, something else is gonna come along. Even if your friend recovers at some point, her body will fail again. For all humans, it's not a question of whether or not we die, but rather when and how. Because all of these are just physical symptoms of a spiritual disease. I know, this Sunday morning is shaping up to be a little more depressing than you were expecting it to be. <laughs> but keep listening. I have good news. A time is coming soon when there will be an end to sickness and pain and sorrow and death. A day when our Father's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The day when the kingdom of heaven appears in all of its fullness. This is what Jesus has been proclaiming all throughout the book of Matthew. In chapter 4, verse 23, we read that Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. In his earthly ministry, Jesus did two main things. First, he taught about the kingdom. That was this whole section of Matthew that we just preached through, chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, an extended kingdom teaching. Now today we're moving on to Matthew chapter 8. If you're not there already, please turn there. 
Matthew chapter 8. In these next chapters 8 and 9, Matthew is now zooming in on the second important component of Jesus' ministry. The demonstration of the kingdom. Jesus has taught and proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, but alongside that, he will also heal every disease and every affliction among his people. With this healing ministry, Jesus is doing more than just proving that he's powerful or caring, although he's certainly those things. Instead, Bridge, when you see Jesus heal, when you listen to the stories that we're going to go through today, I want you to think of healing as a foretaste, as a preview of the kingdom. In Christ's healing ministry, Jesus is going to give us a little snapshot of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look through nine stories, nine miracles, eight of which are healings. Nine miracles arranged in three sets of three. Today, we're looking at that first set of three healing stories. Each story is going to tell us something new about how Jesus relates to our sicknesses. Let's start with just the first couple of verses of chapter 8. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew 8, verses 1 through 2. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Our story begins right after the Sermon on the Mount. And as we're told at the end of that section, the crowds, they were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. And it's those crowds, those great crowds that now follow Jesus down the mountain. Verse 2, and behold, a leper came to him. Now, I'm going to take a wild guess and say that most of us have never had leprosy. Many of us have probably never even seen a picture of a leper. But if you'd been alive in Christ's day, if you had heard the horrified whispers about the leper camp right outside the city, if you had even once seen the flesh of a leper lesioned and raw, deformed and disfigured, if you had regular nightmares that your children might one day start to show those telltale white spots on their skin, then you would have felt cold shivers running up and down your spine when I read those words, and behold, a leper came to him. Verse 1 tells us that great crowds followed Jesus when he came down from the mountain, and those crowds would have reacted to the leper's presence with horror, complete and utter disgust and horror. They would have shouted and backed off, scrambling to get as far away as they could, leaving only the leper and Jesus, 
who for some reason did not back away. The leper could scarcely have believed that he was there. He, he didn't actually think he'd get this far. But there he was. He and this strange rabbi, Jesus, who wasn't running, wasn't scared at all. Breathless, the leper fell to his knees and said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. To understand exactly what the leper is asking here, you need to know that leprosy is unique. It's not like other diseases. It's the, actually the only disease to have a whole chapter of the Bible dedicated to it, Leviticus 13, where you can find step-by-step instructions on how to diagnose and then deal with a leprous person. And this is because leprosy was more than just a terrible skin condition. It was a permanent uncleanness. See, other diseases, they need to be healed. But leprosy also needs to be cleansed. Now, I don't know if you grasp the weight of this. Cleanness and uncleanness, they're very foreign concepts to us. Today, things are unclean when they have dirt on them. And the way you clean them is with the Clorox wipe. But in the world of the Bible, there was a special kind of uncleanness, not from getting dirt on you, but from contact with unclean things, with dead bodies and bodily discharges and even certain animals. And the most devastating effect of uncleanness was that people who had become unclean would have to isolate, quarantine. Does that sound familiar? If you were unclean, you could not enter the temple, the presence of God, and you could not spend time with friends and family, the people of God. Thankfully, most of the time, if you become unclean, there were very specific instructions on how to be made clean again. Most of the time. Usually, you waited in quarantine for a little bit. Sometimes you made a sacrifice, or sometimes you just wash yourself. And then it was done. You could return to society. No one thought anything of it. It was just a temporary inconvenience. If this last year you contracted and then recovered from COVID, it was hopefully a relatively similar process. Quarantine for a couple weeks, work from home if you can, get tested again, go sacrifice a lamb, you're pretty much good to go. (laughs) But leprosy was different. With leprosy, you didn't have an uncleanness. You were unclean. A leper didn't just have to quarantine for a couple weeks. A leper had essentially no hope of ever rejoining society, which is why this leper that we're reading about right now wanted so badly to be made clean. It had been many years since he'd sat down with a meal with his friends It had been many years since he'd hugged and held his family members. Since he'd been in the presence of God and of God's people. Can you imagine how lonely he must have felt? Can you imagine what must have been going on in his heart? He wanted to be cleansed. But the only catch was that no one really knew how to get rid of leprosy. 
No ordinary treatment or physician was able to solve the problem. It would take a miracle. In fact, it had been centuries since the last time someone had been miraculously cleansed of leprosy. I'm talking about the story of Naaman in 2 Kings 5. In that story, Naaman asks the king of Israel to cure him of his leprosy, to which the king replies, Am I God? To kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? In other words, this king is saying to cleanse someone of leprosy was such an impossible task that to do it, you would need to have power over life and death itself. You would need someone who could raise the dead, someone who had the power of God. Do we know anyone like that? This leper did. He'd heard stories of this man, Jesus, who could heal anything. If anyone could cleanse a leper, it'd be this guy. The only question was, would Jesus want to heal him? Which is why this leper meekly comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, if you will, if you want to, you can make me clean. See, he has no doubt that Jesus can heal him. He's just not sure if Jesus wills it. Maybe Jesus has better things to do. Maybe he didn't think that I would be worthy of healing. Maybe he's also completely disgusted by me. Was Jesus willing? Bridge, I have good news. Our first lesson today. Jesus is willing to heal us. Jesus is willing to heal us. Look at verse 3. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus was willing. And so the leper became clean. Now this is something truly amazing. Not only because for the first time in centuries, a leper had been cleansed, but also because of the way Jesus did it. He stretched out his hand and he touched him. As we'll see in our next couple stories, Jesus, he could have just said something. By a word, he could have healed, cleansed, and restored this leper. But Jesus, he chooses instead to touch him. Now, in our age of social distancing, physical touch has become a much scarcer thing than before. But for this leper, this might have been the first time he'd been touched in years, maybe decades. No one would have dared. No one would have risked it. At the very least, mere exposure to leprosy would have made you temporarily unclean, whether you got infected or not. And if you got leprosy too, then you'd be, like the leper, permanently unclean. So it would have been shocking that Jesus would want to do this, to touch this leper. For anyone else, this would have been social suicide. But for Jesus, there was no risk of himself becoming unclean. And it's not because Jesus was immune 
He hadn't gotten vaccinated against leprosy. He wasn't wearing divine PPE. No, it's because Jesus, he is the cure. He's not just immune, he's the cure. Jesus is so holy that you cannot make him unclean. Instead, he cleanses you. Jesus, he is more than able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as he himself says, he's not just able, but he's willing. Jesus is willing to heal us. And that's why Jesus took on flesh. It's why he reached out to us. It's why he came down from heaven just as he came down from the mountain at the beginning of our story. Jesus is in the business of coming down. He came down. He took on flesh and he reached out. And why? So that he could make us clean. Truly clean. When Jesus touched this leper, he became truly clean. Not just healed, not just free of symptoms, but clean. He was now able for the first time in decades to enter into the presence of God and of God's people. And it was Jesus that cleansed him. Not some priest, but Jesus. Why do I highlight that? To see why this is such a big deal, look at verse 4. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. See, according to the book of Leviticus, under regular circumstances, if a leper were somehow, somehow healed of their leprosy, they were automatically clean. There was a complex series of sacrifices and rituals. And only after this, only after this, was a leper declared clean by a priest. But there was no priest in this story. And there was no series of sacrifices. Instead, just by touching the leper, just by declaring him clean, Jesus accomplished all of it. All of the sacrifices, all of the rituals that a priest would have done, he bypassed all of that. Not because a priest and a sacrifice were unnecessary, but get this, rather because Jesus himself is our great high priest and our perfect sacrifice. So if Jesus has truly cleansed this leper, then why now in verse 4 is he sending him to the priest to offer the gift that Moses commanded? Not because this leper needs more cleansing, but, end of verse 4, for a proof to them. This leper is going to go find a priest, go through the eight-day cleansing ritual, offer all the sacrifices, and by doing that, He's going to serve as a living, walking witness to the authority and power of Jesus Christ. Jesus has truly made this leper clean. But in order that people will understand and believe what happened, Jesus tells the leper to go get this certified, notarized, before telling everyone that there can be a proof to them that the Son of God has authority over our sickness. Not only is Jesus willing to heal, but he is able 
to back up that willingness with power and authority. Our second story today is all about the authority. Let's go there now, verse 5. When he'd entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he, Jesus, said to him, I will come and heal him. In our second story, we once again meet an unusual character who comes to Jesus and asks for healing. Only this time, it's not a leper, but a centurion, a commander of the Roman army. Now that fact should jump out at you because the Romans and the Jews didn't exactly have a great relationship. On the one hand, the Romans had conquered, oppressed, colonized, and exploited the Jews. The Jews were painfully aware of an ethnic divide between their people and the occupying Roman forces. And further increasing this ethnic divide was the fact that back then, Jewish law strictly prohibited Jews from even entering the home of a Gentile. So with all this in mind, it would have been shocking that this powerful Roman official would be seeking the help of this socially inferior rabbi. I mean, did a centurion of the Roman Empire just call Jesus? This lowly carpenter, Lord? Shouldn't it be the other way around? Shouldn't Jesus be calling him that? And am I getting this right? Is that centurion asking this holy Jewish teacher to enter his unclean Roman Gentile home and heal his servant? All of this should help us understand what happens next. Jesus says, I will come and heal him. Now, some of you may have noticed that I'm reading the sentence like a question. The question mark at the end. And that's because based on the context and the grammar, most biblical scholars actually think it should be read less like a statement. I will come and heal him. And more like a question. Something kind of like this. Am I to come and heal him? You, you want me to come and heal this man? Surely there are Roman doctors and and Roman healers. Why ask me, a Jew? What makes you think I'd even be willing to enter your home? The centurion is making an unusual, even audacious request. And so Jesus is basically saying to him, are you sure you know what you're asking? Do, Do you realize what it would mean for a Jew to enter the home of a Gentile? Look at how the centurion responds in verse 8. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word and my servant will be healed. Heal again. Here again is a shocking display of submission. The powerful centurion calls Jesus Lord and then goes so far as to say, I'm not worthy. I'm not of high enough station to have you come under my roof. When the centurion says this, he's flipping the whole Roman system of honor on its head. He's genuinely saying that this homeless Jewish peasant is worthy of more honor than he is. 
And what's more, in this statement, the centurion seems to be acknowledging the socially awkward situation that he's putting Jesus in. It's almost as if he's now realizing how his words might be taken. And he says that, whoa, I may have crossed the line and immediately starts to backtrack. No, 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 of course not. Of course, I, I, I wouldn't dream of asking you to come under my roof. See, he sees the social barrier that lies between him and the healing that Christ provides. Jesus isn't supposed to enter his home. So how is the centurion going to get Jesus to heal his servant? For the centurion, the solution is obvious. There's a clear way to get around this obstacle. But, he says, but only say a word, and my servant will be healed. Sure, it may not have been proper for Jesus to go into his home, but none of that would be an issue if he just healed the servant remotely. He figures Jesus probably offers teledoc. <laughs> the crazy thing is that up to this point in the story, <clears throat> in Matthew, Jesus hasn't demonstrated that he can do a socially distant healing. And that's what makes the centurion's faith so remarkable. He gets something about Jesus that other people don't. He understands the true power, the authority that Jesus wields. Look at what the centurion says in verse 9. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. This guy is military. When he says jump, his men say, how high? He is used to being obeyed. And why? Because in ancient Rome, when a military officer spoke, he spoke with the authority of the emperor himself. And what's incredible is that this centurion takes that principle and he applies it to Christ's authority over sickness. He looks at Jesus and he thinks, sickness probably obeys you in the same way my soldiers obey me. Now, take a second and think about the most powerful people you know, the people who have the most authority. I'm talking your billionaires, your bigwigs, your elected officials. Even they can't command sickness by their word. Even they don't have this kind of authority. Imagine if the president could have just written an executive order banning COVID. That would have been a lot simpler. Yet this centurion is sure that Jesus has this kind of power over sickness. Even though this is the first time he's met Jesus, even though he's not even Jewish, he recognizes that Jesus speaks with the full authority of God and that even sickness must obey him. He sees that Jesus is not just willing, but able. Jesus is willing and able to heal us because he has been given authority over sickness. The same authority that the crowd recognized in Jesus last week. An authority that comes directly from the Father himself. Look at what happens next in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who follow him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. 
This is the only time that that word marvel is used to refer to Jesus himself. In the rest of the Bible, in the rest of Matthew, it's the people, the crowds who marvel at what Jesus has done. But here, Jesus marvels. The wonder worker is himself in awe and wonder. And why? Because in all of his earthly life, Jesus' fleshly eyes had never seen faith like this before. And this incredible expression of trust in Jesus' power wasn't coming out of the mouth of a faithful Jew. With no one in Israel had Jesus found such faith. But rather, this faith was coming from a centurion, a Roman, a Gentile. Jesus then takes this opportunity to tell us that this isn't going to just be a one-time thing. More and more Gentiles like this centurion, like many of us here today, are going to show incredible faith. And by faith, many Gentiles, many nations are going to enter the kingdom. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Here, Jesus explicitly states one of the key themes of the book of Matthew, of the whole Bible itself, that God is expanding his chosen nation with people from all nations. Starting in the genealogy of Matthew 1, we see Rahab and Ruth, Gentiles, yet ancestors of Jesus himself. And then in Matthew 2, we meet the wise men, also Gentiles, who rightly see that Jesus is worthy of worship. And how does the book of Matthew end? Christ, who here has authority over sickness, will declare that all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to him. And by this authority, he will commission his disciples to what? To go and make disciples of all nations. The kingdom of heaven will not just be one chosen family, one master race, but a new multi-ethnic gathering. Jesus says that many will come from east and west, and they will join those faithful Jewish fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for a great banquet in the kingdom of heaven. And membership in this kingdom will not be based on family or pedigree, who your dad is, or the color of your skin. Now, this would have run contrary to the thought of many Israelites, the sons of the kingdom, who thought that by virtue of their ethnicity, they were automatically heirs of the kingdom. On the contrary, Jesus tells us that many of these sons of the kingdom will be cast out of the kingdom and into the outer darkness. Because unlike other kingdoms, this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, belongs to those who have faith in their king. This kingdom belongs to lepers. It belongs to Gentiles. It belongs to the downcast, to the outcast, to the downtrodden, the persecuted, the poor in spirit, the meek, the humble, and the sick. It belongs to all of those who have reached the end of their rope, and have realized that they are weak, but God is strong. Yeah. 
belongs to all of those who boldly approach Christ with a faith that says only you can heal me. Only you can save. It's a faith that boldly puts all of its trust in the fact that Jesus is willing and able to heal us. We see the power of this kind of faith in the last verse of the story. Jesus says, go, let it be done for you as you believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Folks, this is the kind of faith that brings life. Only this kind of faith can bring true healing. Now hear me right. I'm not saying all you need to do is have more faith and your sickness will go away right here, right now, on demand. Your rheumatoid arthritis, your diabetes and Parkinson's are not hanging around just because you don't have enough faith. Christ can heal us of our pains, and oftentimes he does, often miraculously, automatically. But he doesn't promise an end to sickness in this life. Right now, we still live in a broken and sick world. But what Christ does promise is that all those who have faith in him will enter his kingdom, and that is going to be a kingdom without sickness or tears or pain. Bridge, place all your hope in that kingdom. Our last story today tells us how Christ makes it possible for us to enter his kingdom. And the story starts in verse 14, and it's really very simple. It's a much shorter story than the rest of them. Let's just read the whole thing. Verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, And he cast out the spirits with the word, healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Just as with the leper, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law with a touch. And that evening, just as with the centurion's servant, Jesus casts out demons with only a word, and he heals all who were sick. So all of this, all three of our stories today, they beg the question, why did Jesus heal? Why was his earthly ministry so concerned with healing? We take it for granted that he did, but ask yourself, why was healing such a big part of Christ's ministry? Why is Matthew spending so much time telling us about these healings? Well, he explains why. In verse 17, this is the key to today's passage, to all three of our stories, to Christ's whole ministry of healing. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. Matthew's quoting here from Isaiah 53, and every time a New Testament author quotes an Old Testament passage, we need to ask ourselves, why? Especially here, because this passage seems to suggest that not only did Jesus heal illnesses, but he himself bore them. Now, in all three of the stories we read today, it doesn't really seem like Jesus bears their sickness. Jesus doesn't catch the leper's leprosy. 
the servant's paralysis, the mother-in-law's fever, the demon-possessed people's torment. So why is Matthew using this verse here? Why does he think Jesus' healings point to this verse? Friends, Matthew does this. Because while in these stories, Jesus doesn't bear these sicknesses, Christ's earthly ministry of proclamation and healing is going to take him to the cross. And on that cross, Jesus will bear. He will take upon himself our deepest sicknesses, our sins, and our most painful diseases, our punishment for sin. Listen to the surrounding context from the verse that Matthew is quoting. Here's Isaiah 53. Surely he's borne our griefs, literally our sicknesses. And he's carried our sorrows, literally our pains. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Matthew quotes this passage because all of Christ's healings, every healing we read about today, point forward to that, what, that which ultimately heals us, to Christ's death and his resurrection, the once and final cure to all of this world's most painful diseases. This is ultimately how Jesus heals us. Jesus is willing and able to heal us by bearing our sin. More than just saying a word, more than even just touching us, Jesus took our sin, our sickness upon himself, and he suffered the pain and the punishment that we rightly deserved. No human doctor does this. No physician can heal his patients by taking their diseases upon himself. But friends, this is the kind of savior we have. This is the kind of love our Jesus has for us. And so what does that mean for us today? What should you do knowing that we have a savior like this? Simply this, bridge. Whether you've been walking with Christ for a while or if this is your first time hearing about his love for you, be honest with yourself about your sicknesses the physical pains of your present bodies that never seem to heal, the deep emotional scars that you've been accumulating in this life, the sins that, like an uncleanness, come between you and God. Take all of that and run hard into the arms of your Savior, your King, Jesus, the great physician. Boldly approach him in faith in the same way that this leper and the centurion did. Lay all of your sicknesses at his feet, knowing that Jesus wants to heal you and to bring you into his kingdom, a kingdom without sickness and death, a kingdom for the lowly, for the lepers and the Gentiles, a kingdom for all who have faith in Christ for all who have faith that in him we are healed. Let's pray. <clears throat> oh Lord, 
You know our sicknesses. You know the weaknesses of our bodies, God. Of the things that make us tired. Of the things that bring us pain. Of the things that haunt our minds, God. God, you know the spiritual sicknesses that we have too. The things that keep us far from you. God, the things that keep us from your love. From laying hold of all the blessings that you have for us. God, we we thank you that you have made a way. That you have sent your son. And that in him, all of our sicknesses are born. Physical and spiritual. That on the cross they were nailed there. And that in Christ's resurrection, all of them, all of them are gone, God. That we have life in him, that we have a promise of entrance into a kingdom where there will be no more sickness and no more death. God, we look forward to the day that we can enter into that kingdom on the day that that it fully comes, God. Until then, until then, Lord, we put all our faith in Jesus. We boldly approach him and we ask for his healing. God, I pray for everyone in this room right now who is suffering from healing, from sickness. Everybody who has a chronic illness, everybody who, who needs to know that Jesus wants to reach out and touch them, God. I pray for everybody who needs to know your love. I pray for them knowing that you are willing and able to heal them. You've born their diseases. So I lift up this body, I pray on behalf of these people here. In your son's name, Jesus Christ.